The Electronic Intifada. Intifada. Intifada Electronic. Intifada Electronica. This is the Electronic Intifada Podcast. In London, I'm Asa Win Stanley with the Electronic Intifada Podcast. Jeremy Corbyn, the surprise frontrunner in the leadership election for the UK's Labour Party, says he would impose a two-way arms embargo on Israel if he were to become Prime Minister in 2020. In a recent interview with the Electronic Intifada, the Member of Parliament for Islington in central London endorsed key elements of the boycott, divestment and sanctions campaign against Israel. Corbyn is a patron of the Palestine Solidarity Campaign and is well known as an active supporter of Palestinian rights. We sat down to talk about his background in activism and his political views, including his support for the Palestinian right of return. I began by asking him how he became involved with the Palestine Solidarity Campaign. Must have been I've a long time ago now. always been very aware of the issues facing the Middle East, going back to the 67 war as a child in school, and what was happening then, and then later on the formation of the PLO and Palestine issues, and then in Parliament later on, became an MP in 83, uh, became involved much more in the Palestine cause, and since then I've been involved in the formation of the PSC as an amalgamation of a number of other Palestinian campaigns and groups, and uh, later uh, became a patron of the PSC. I have visited uh, Palestine and Israel nine times, and I've also visited Lebanon and Syria, and visited a lot of Palestinian refugee camps during my life, and also, of course, met Palestinian representatives uh, in Egypt, uh, Tunisia, and uh, in a number of Latin American countries when I've been visiting. There's a very mm. big Palestinian diaspora. Yeah, yeah, in, in uh, Latin America there's a big one. Huge, particularly in Chile, and it's no accident that the Latin American governments that all supported recognition of Palestine in part were prompted to do this by the size of the Palestinian diaspora in all countries. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you mentioned uh, becoming a lot more involved when you entered Parliament in 1983, and that was, of course, not long after the Israeli invasion of Lebanon uh, in eighty two. Um, what would you say uh, since then, between 83 and now, has been the biggest change you've seen in the Solidarity Movement? A growing scepticism about Israel's justification for the siege of Gaza, the continuing occupation of the West Bank and the growth of settlements, um, growing understanding of the cause of Palestinian people, and uh, during Operation Cast Lead, for example, I was at the demonstration um, which was opposed to the bombing by Operation Cast Lead and 200,000 people came. Biggest ever demonstration in support of Palestinian rights uh, outside of Palestine anywhere in the world, I think. Yeah. And that was in London. Um, just talk a little bit about the uh, the hustings at uh, the JW3 uh, Centre, the, the leadership hustings, not uh, very long ago, which was organised uh, by Labour Friends of Israel and some other groups. During that, uh, Hastings, you were critical of uh, British arms sales to mm. Israel. Um, as leader of the opposition, if you win, I mean, how do you push for those arms sales to end in opposition? The Hastings was um, interesting yeah. and absolutely legitimate to hold it. And uh, I was very happy to have the opportunity to discuss 
position. I wish the hustings had been a bit longer, but there were, was an issue of a vote in Parliament. Yeah. Um, and I wish there had been more interaction and discussion. Indeed, I encourage that the JW3 do ha promote that kind of interaction and discussion, and, and I, hope, I genuinely hope that they do. Um, at the moment, some arms sales are restricted already by Britain to Israel under the licensing arrangements. The uh, Parliamentary Committee, the Quadripartite Committee on Monitoring of Arms Sales, has raised concerns about the use of um, some of the equipment that is sold to Israel. Sir John Stanley, the outgoing chair of it, was certainly very, very critical of Israel's behaviour in Gaza and in the occupied territories. I think we have to push robustly for the limitation of arms supplies and in particular uh, observation of the human rights clauses of the European Union-Israel trade agreement mm. which I believe Israel to be in breach of. Israel is after all um, facing an investigation by the Human Rights Council for uh, Geneva Convention, sorry, for war crimes as indeed are the uh, Hamas forces on a much different or lesser scale, should we say, but they are facing it also. And I think we should be very cautious about supplying arms in those circumstances, and I've said so and will continue to say so. Mm. Um, I thought the Conservative government had um, they'd done a review and they concluded that everything that they were supplying was um, okay. I'm not sure that all licenses have been reactivated. Uh, but certainly the trajectory of the Conservative government is to approve mm. of continuous arms sales. It's not my position because they are continuing with the imprisonment of children, elected parliamentarians, expulsion of African asylum seekers from Israel and of course the siege of Gaza, refusing to allow any reconstruction equipment to go through mm. and continuing the settlement policy on the West Bank and indeed still trying to sell settlement products as if they're Israeli products through Western markets, even though that's been declared completely illegal by the European Union. So would you push in opposition for a further review of arms licences? Absolutely, I would, I would push for that. Um, I can't give chapter and verse on what the details of the current uh, restrictions are on arms sales, but yes I would, because I do think we've got to be serious about encouraging a peace process and a peace process will come about when Israel understands that there is not a military solution on option the only option is actually one of talks that involve everybody indeed the former head of Mossad himself has said that there should be talks involving Hamas yeah yeah um, war and and the campaign against the arms trade have both called for the imposition of a two-way arms embargo on Israel um, amnesty has called for an arms embargo as Prime Minister, um, would you implement one? Yes, because it seems to me, unless something two way arms embargo. Well, unless something fundamentally changes, we get a genuine peace process going on. We get an agreement with the uh, Palestinian people, and we get full recognition of the state of Palestine. Then, quite clearly, the issues that arise now for the call of an arms embargo seem to me to be there just the same. Uh, I'm not quite sure why they say a two-year arms embargo. Two-way, like... Uh, oh, I beg your pardon. Uh, Israeli sales, yeah. Sorry, arms sales to this country and British a, arms a, sales to a Israel. A two-way arms embargo, absolutely, because we do import some weaponry from Israel, particularly very high technical yeah. weaponry from Israel, and I don't think we should. Yeah.
You're listening to the Electronic Intifada podcast. Visit us online at electronicintifada.net or follow us on Twitter at Intifada. The Electronic Intifada. Intifada Electronica. Intifada Electronica. Electronic Intifada. Britain's largest arms firm, um, has got four subsidiary factories operating in the United Kingdom. Um, as you mentioned, they're, they're mostly involved in high-tech. One is involved in optics and targeting, and one is involved in uh, parts for drones, uh, drone engines. Um, there's ca- campaigners who are calling for them to be shut down. Do you, do you agree with them? I'm opposed to the use of drones. Indeed, um, Tom Watson, uh, one of the candidates for deputy leader, is chair of the all-party group on drones. Uh, they are calling for that as well. I agree with them on that. The question of drones, their use... Um, the civilian casualties that result from them, the many inaccuracies of drone attacks in Pakistan and uh, Afghanistan uh, indicate that they're nothing like the high-tech super weapon that uh, they claim to be. They're actually a bomb, just like any other. So would you uh, push for these factories to be shut down or converted? Converted. I am not in favour of making people redundant because they work in the arms industry. I'm in favour of using a national investment bank in order to invest in uh, socially useful products. We've got brilliant high-tech engineers working on defence who could just as easily be working on civilian aircraft or civilian ships or civilian helicopters. Mm. Um, So uh, we've spoken about... uh, the arms trade uh, with Israel. Um, but uh, what do you make of the other areas of the BDS campaign? Um, for example, uh, Palestinian calls for a boycott of Israeli academic institutions. Many, well, most, almost all Israeli institutions on the uh, academic institutions on, on the official level are involved in the occupation in some level. And uh, also, there's calls for complicit cult. Not all Israeli artists, but it, those Israeli cultural bodies that are officially endorsed. Uh, by the army, for example, or as part of Brand Israel. There's calls to boycott them. What do you make of those kind of strategies? The economic relationship of settlement goods and goods and so on is a fairly straightforward one. The academic boycott issue is very complicated because I would not want to prevent people like Ilan Pape coming here to speak in this country. I would not want to stop serious academics that have studied the issue, studied the history of it, from whatever point of view, actually coming and taking part in it. But if it is a uh, university that is doing research into drones, taser weapons, or doing research into surveillance uh, of the occupation in Gaza and elsewhere, then they should be part of part of the boycott. And so I think it has to be quite specific that it is a boycott relating to the occupation of the West Bank, the siege of Gaza, and the treatment of Palestinian people. But I think having a dialogue, a serious dialogue with um, academics who are looking at uh, historical issues and social issues surrounding it has got to be a good thing and it's uh, it's quite difficult to lay down regulation of how you deal with that and so I would want us to have um, a boycott of those that are involved in occupation activities. The European Union, um, what do you think explains quite often uniformly pro-Israel policies that we see within the European Union so often? There is a general view amongst older people all across Europe that the Jewish people suffered so abominably, so vile was the Holocaust and all that went with it, that um, 
the establishment of the State of Israel was the right thing to do, it exists, it's there, and that um, uh, therefore there should be a lot of latitude given towards the State of Israel. Uh, it's younger people and a wider audience that often have a rather different view on this, but the European Union member states, the majority of whom are now either themselves recognizing or calling for the recognition of the state of Palestine, things have changed a great deal and I would hope the European Union will change with it and the European Parliament will vote to recognize Palestine. Um, so when there's, uh, there's currently efforts you know, to uh, make sure that the, the EU on an institutional level and that member states have to um, merely start labelling settlement goods, not, not even banning them, and there just seems to be a lot of uh, institutional opposition to that. Well, there, there is, and there was institutional opposition to any other kind of consumer boycott, but um, this is a serious matter. These products are produced on illegally occupied land, on water that's been taken illegally from the Palestinian people, mm. and the Palestinian people themselves don't have the same export opportunities for their products. And I think it's right that we're very tough on it and we should end the sale of settlement products. Indeed, the numbers are on sale are reducing uh, because of the effectiveness of the campaign. What do you think is the ultimate solution? Um, uh, do you see a one-state solution as likely in the long term? Well, at the moment, all that's on offer is the possibility of a two-state solution. <clears throat> the two-state solution is difficult to see how it would operate with the degree of settlements that are there. Uh, it's half a million people Israel would have to move out of the settlements in order to get a, an agreement with Palestine and a two-state solution. Mm. They did move the settlements out of Gaza, albeit a smaller number after the withdrawal from Gaza. They could and should do the same, but the Netanyahu government appears to be moving exactly the opposite direction yeah. of more settlements. I think it's up to the people of the region to decide what kind of long-term solution there would be. Listen, the lines on the map were drawn in London and Berlin and Vienna. The um, mandates were given out at the Treaty of Versailles in Paris. The secret deal between Britain and France was done in 1916 in the Sykes-Picot Agreement. The Balfour Declaration came a year later. I think it's time that Europe understood the problems that have been created by European colonial mentality in the past and allow the people of the region to decide their future. We should therefore recognise Palestine, try and bring about that longer term peace process and develop it from there. We've got to move on and the three areas of Palestine that have got to be addressed are one, settlements and occupation of the West Bank, two, the siege of Gaza and three, the issue of now fourth generation refugees living in camps in Lebanon and some still in Syria. They, they deserve their rights too, they deserve their right to return home. So you support the right of return of the Palestinian refugees? Yes, I do, because that's got to be the key to it. Whether they'll want to return or not is another matter, but yeah, there has to be... It's about the rights, <coughs> isn't it? The rights have to be there. And um, can there be a settlement? Yeah, I think there can be, because the economic price, the social price and the life price of not having one is so huge. Mm. Uh, last question is, do you read the electronic interfilter? Sometimes. <laughs> 
Okay, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks. And that's it for the Electronic Intifada podcast. For news, information, cultural features and reviews, and pointed opinion and analysis, visit us online at electronicintifada.net. You can also post comments and sign up for our daily email digest. Follow us on Twitter at Intifada. Radio stations are free to use this podcast, and on behalf of all of us at the Electronic Intifada, thank you for listening.